Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 22 this evening. Again, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 22. And a reminder that as you hear these words said, that these are the very words of the triune God, the living God who thundered from heaven and who has given his ministers to be a provision for his people that they might be able to hear the word of God without dying. And therefore, give your attention to this word as it is read. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure, or that is the exodus, of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's ask for God's blessing now on the preaching of his word. O Father, how we are aware of the weakness of our faith, Lord, that we are very often weak in faith, and that many of the rebukes of the Lord Jesus Christ do apply to us, that, Lord, very often we can dimly perceive the heavenly realities that have been made so clear by you. Lord, how we do pray that, that this evening that you would pour out your spirit, that you would bless the preaching of your word, that by the preaching of your word you would increase our faith, and that increasing our faith, we would be able to see beyond this life to the resurrection of the dead. Lord, help us to see that everything, all of our hope is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And help us to see with the eyes of faith the reality of this resur resurrection and by implication that of our own as well. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11, you'll remember that faith is being described as a conviction of things not seen. That's the first part of faith. The second part is that it is a substance of things hoped for. Uh, the unseen element, there is, so there, is, there are really two elements here. There's the unseen element, so faith is able to grasp unseen realities. There's also a forward-looking element, so there's a, and that's the part about hope. So hope looks forward to something that's not been seen yet. And uh, God being invisible cannot be seen. Faith is able to apprehend this unseen spiritual reality. It's also to understand the reality of the promises of God, the, the sure foundation of the hope that we have. Now, uh, the resurrection is put forward in Scripture as 
a great foundation for our hope. You think of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you are still in your sins. It is absolutely necessary to believe in the resurrection. It's really the basis of all of our hope. And really, with regard to the resurrection, we have these same two elements that are, uh, that are present. You can't see the resurrection. You will die, and there's no way for us to measure or to inquire of the dead what's happening to them uh, with regard to the state of their souls. We, we don't have any way to observe that with our eyes. It's an unseen thing. And particularly with regard to the resurrection, the resurrection is something that's going to happen in the future. And before it gets here, you can't see it because it's going to happen at one time. Now, it's begun with the Lord Jesus Christ, but even then, most people were not able to see him. We haven't seen him with our eyes. We know of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ through the eyes of faith. And so there, is, there are both of these elements working with regard to the resurrection, which is a, a cornerstone of the faith of the Christian. It is something that is unseen, and it is something that is in the future, and therefore it is a hope. It's a hope that we have. It's a sure hope built on the, upon the promises of God, but nevertheless, it cannot, in fact, be seen. The resurrection of the dead, though begun in Christ, will happen all at once for everyone else in Him at an appointed time in the future. Now, this is something that the Old Testament saints understood as well. This was part of the substance of their hope. Now, as I've had occasion to measure, uh, to mention it a number of times, this is just so common for people to say today, which is why I, I say it so often. Um, oftentimes people do say in the Old Testament, people were focused on physical promises. They believed in the realities of the blessings of this world, and they were unable to see the realities of the resurrection from the dead. We looked a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the beginning of, of the, the, the passage with regard to Abraham, that he was not looking merely for the land. Because if that was all he was looking for, he would have been severely disappointed. He was promised the land and never received it. And the purpose of uh, Moses constructing the narrative uh, in that way where all those things are emphasized, and the purpose of even all those things happening for Abraham, was to highlight the reality that ultimately the blessings, all the blessings, had a forward-looking element. All of them were looking forward to the reality of the resurrection of the dead. And we saw a couple weeks ago how the way this worked with Abraham was that he was looking for the city with foundations. He dwelt in a tent, and yet he was looking for a city. And he was looking for that city while he dwelt in the tent, and he dwelt in the tent all the way to the end of his life, still looking for the city. And he maintained his faith that he would be able to, to rest and live in that city, even though he died. And therefore, his faith looked beyond this life. Now here, here we have the author describing the way in which the faith of the patriarchs, uh, the focus is going to be on Abraham, but it's going to be all the patriarchs, are looking beyond this life, not just to the heavenly city, but also to the resurrection from the dead. That's really the focus that is, that is uh, being emphasized here. The, the main theme of, of these verses is the resurrection of the dead. And all this is once again rooted in the promises that they would have already had. Promises that go all the way back to Genesis 3.15, where we are told that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Uh, if the serpent brought death to the world through the fall, would not it be right to conclude that life would be granted through, through the defeat of the serpent? If death comes through the serpent, and then the serpent is defeated, and before there was a serpent, there was no death at all, would it be right to conclude that he could truly be defeated without there being life that's granted? And the answer would be no. 
And therefore, Genesis 3.15 provides a firm basis of hope in the resurrection from the dead. This is the reason why, though death was threatened, and though God cursed Adam and Eve, on the basis of this gospel promise, Genesis 3.15, Adam names his wife Eve. He's immediately told for the first time he's going to die. And the first thing he does is he names his wife Eve because she will be the mother of all the living. Though death was, though, though death was promised and threatened, he names his wife Eve because he understands that this promise means life. This promise means life. And therefore, though we die, yet we will live because of the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And uh, Christ even has argued, uh, reasoning the same thing from the, from the faith of the patriarchs, arguing on, a, on even a different promise. All the promises of God uh, imply the resurrection of the dead, where, uh, where Christ says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. If God is your God, how could it be possible that he would be the God of the dead? The God of life is going to allow his people to remain dead? That surely cannot be the case. And therefore, the very fact that this first gospel promise was made, wherein life was implied, and then uh, we have things like Enoch being taken, not seeing death, and we have as well the promise being made that God would be the God of his people. All of these things, all of these things we are told, leads to the conclusion that the substance of the thing hoped for, for the patriarchs, was life. This is part of the reason how we know that Abraham looked for that heavenly city. And what we see here in verses 17 through 22 is that the author is, is highlighting, okay, there are certain things that Abraham and the patriarchs did that prove that they were looking for the reality of the resurrection of the dead. That was the substance of their hope. And then by implication, brothers and sisters, this is to be the substance of your hope as well. Faith always, always looks to the resurrection from the dead. That's always been a mark of faith. And it was true for the patriarchs, and it is to be true now. Now, the way in which these verses are broken up, you have a few things that are discussed. We're going to look at this passage under two headings. You could, you could almost count it as being three headings. Uh, but the first is Abraham offering up Isaac. That was evidence of Abraham's faith in the resurrection from the dead, verses 17 through 19. Then we have uh, faith seeing beyond this life um, by the actions of the patriarchs at the end of their lives. That's verses 20 through 22. We have uh, uh, first with regard to blessings. That's 20 through 22, the first part of 22, and then the relationship to burial. So, so both the, the way in which at the end of the lives of the patriarchs, they blessed their children and the way in which they looked where they conducted themselves with regard to the instructions of burial, both of those prove that they were looking beyond this life. They were looking beyond this life to the life to come. Now, we'll look back then at verses 17 through 19 as we begin, uh, looking at uh, Abraham offering up Isaac by faith. Abraham offering up Isaac by faith. Now, just to, to give a brief overview of what the, what the author is saying here. So the idea is uh, clearly going back to Genesis chapter 22. You'll remember this is really the high point of the Abraham narrative uh, as Moses has recorded it. Everything is moving towards the sacrifice of Isaac. This is where uh, the greatest of the promises are confirmed to, to, to Abraham, uh, you know, where the angel comes and says, With, uh, do not strike the boy, do not kill him. And now I know that you truly do love the Lord is because you're willing to give up your son, your one and only son, uh, for the sake uh, of God. 
And then he gives to them, he reiterates the promises to Abraham. This is where they are officially confirmed and where they will, in fact, be passed on to the next generation. And so the author uh, gives a brief sketch of this. He says uh, that Abraham offered up Isaac being tested. And then notice then the second way that Abraham is described. So there's, there's two ways in which this is stated in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And then notice how Abraham is described then secondly. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. So there is going to be, as we'll see, a relationship between the promises that Abraham received and his faith in the resurrection. That promise is then summarized in verse 18. Of whom it was said, in Isaac your, your seed shall be called, your seed shall be named. Um, all the promises are going to have some relationship to Isaac. And then the author says, so there's the one who's received the promises, and therefore there is its conclusion with regard to Abraham's reasoning. He had to have been concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So again, there are two things that are being emphasized. The significance of the promise, we've already seen through Hebrews 11 and various other ways, that the promise has a particular relationship to faith. If you remember, this is something that John Calvin noticed, that when we think about faith, um, we do tremble at the threats of God, but there is a special relationship to the promises of God when we think about our faith. That's really where the substance of our hope is rooted in. It's rooted in the promises of God. So we have here again, the author is speaking about the promises given to Abraham, and then the reasoning to the resurrection from the promises. So those are really the two things that we see. Now, the significance of the promise is easy to miss in the narrative about Abraham giving up Isaac. And the reason for this is because the story is so dramatic without even considering the promise. And so we typically we think, you know, look at Abraham, he's having to give up his only son. Now, he's not really his only son. Ishmael was, of course, his son. But the way in which the word uh, only begotten son is used in the narrative in Genesis 22, the idea is that uh, he is the beloved son of the promise, and he's the only one like that. He's the only uh, true child who can be given all these promises. So in that sense, he is the only begotten son of Abraham. And so we think, you know, look at Abraham. He has to give up his own son. Who, who could even think of having to give this sacrifice? And that is a, a very strong element in the narrative, and there's no reason to downplay that at all. That was uh, truly did show Abraham's faith, that he was willing to give that which was most precious to him. And, uh, of course, the reasoning goes uh, to us with regard to the Lord Jesus Christ, that God was, able to, was willing to give his only begotten son for our salvation, and that, and that shows God's love for us. But there's another element to the narrative that is, that is uh, just as important, even it's almost tempting to say that it's more important with regard to the flow of thought in the Abraham narrative. And that is the relationship of Abraham having to sacrifice Isaac, who was the child of the promise. Uh, you'll remember that uh, um, in Genesis 15, uh, Abraham, is, uh, Abraham has these promises, and all of them are obviously dependent upon, uh, upon him having children. He's going to be made into a great nation. You've got to have children to be made into a great nation. Uh, uh, he is going to receive this land, but not just him, but his descendants. So in order for his descendants to receive the land, he actually has to have descendants. And then so in Genesis 15, he comes to God and says, Look, I have no child. I'm old. What's going to happen? And then we have even, even this uh, God then promises him that there will be one 
will be born to him and then it will be in him that all these promises will come about. So there is this, this promise element that is very strong all the way from the beginning. And Abraham has had to believe in God even despite his old age. Then in Genesis 16, he tries to fulfill the promises through his own strength. He tries to take Hagar and that be, ends up being disastrous. And we're le he's left then again with the bare promise. He's got no ability to, to fulfill it on his own. Even when he tries to do it on his own, it's a, it's a disaster. Then the promise is reiterated again in Genesis chapter 17 and uh, reiterated again in 18. The child is born. Then he's immediately persecuted. And so you have all of these things that are happening. Isaac is now born. He's been persecuted. He's growing up. And then before he's able to be married or have any other children, now God says, you must sacrifice this child. And the problem is this. If he sacrifices the child, the promises appear to be unable to be fulfilled. So there is this son whom he loves, the son of his old age, miraculously given to him by God. But also, he is the child of the promise. He's the child of the promise. And, and if the child dies, how can any of these things be given to Abraham? It is this son that was offered up. You, you can imagine the consternation that Abraham would have faced when he was told by God, you have to give up Isaac. Saying, look, God, why, how could I possibly be giving up Isaac? I'd be willing to give you anything, but how could I be giving up Isaac? You have told me that all the promises will come through this child, through this child. Now, how does Abraham respond in faith? What is the faithful response uh, to these things? Here we have the link between the promise and resurrection. So there is a command from the Lord. Faith is always obedient to the commands of God. We saw how disastrous it was earlier for Abraham in chapter 16 when he tries to fulfill the, the, the promises of God without being faithful to God. So Abraham knows that's not an option. He, he cannot achieve the promise by saying, God, I am not going to obey your command because you've promised me that, the, that I will have these promises through this child. Faith obeys. Faith obeys the commands of God and faith believes in the promises of God and leaves the fulfillment of the promises to him. How is it that Abraham could have a command to kill Isaac and yet have a promise that there will be blessings through his life? Abraham is faced with this situation. He's commanded to sacrifice Isaac. Therefore, Isaac must die. He's also given promises of things will happen through Isaac, therefore Isaac must live. Isaac must die and he must live. What then does faith conclude? Faith concludes that he must be raised from the dead. That's, that's the way in which the promise leads Abraham to say, I will give up my son and I still believe the promises are going to be fulfilled. How are they going to be fulfilled? Because I believe that God will raise my son from the dead. And this is actually something that occurs even in the narrative. It's a, a little hint that is often missed, but we've seen all throughout the book of Hebrews that the author of Hebrews is a master at reading scripture. And he, he, he pulls in the most important details and he teaches us how to read. We see this particularly uh, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. Abraham and Isaac, they bring some servants, then they have arrived at Mount Moriah. And this is the place where he's going to sacrifice Isaac. But notice in, in, in verse 5, the instructions that Abraham gives to his servants. I and the boy will go. We will worship. 
and then we will return. He believed that he would return with the son. Was he lying to his servants? No, he was reasoning from the promises. I must kill him, he must live. If I must kill him, he must live. God is a God of power. He's able to raise the dead. I know that I'm going to return with my son. Not, not based on just a, a hope so. You know, we, we don't have, uh, we don't know for certain our loved ones die. We have no grounds for expecting that they're going to be raised immediately. Uh, Abraham did have those grounds because he did receive that promise. Isaac had to die because the word of the Lord had already said he would live. He had to live. He had to die and he had to, to live. He had to live because the word of the Lord had already proclaimed this. There already was a promise. Your son must live. And therefore, Abraham in faith was able to reason beyond this life. And by faith, he apprehended the reality of the resurrection from the dead. Such was the substance of Abraham's faith. And brothers and sisters, such is to be the substance of your faith. You will be raised from the dead. All things around you make clear the reality of your death. But the promise of God, as with Abraham, gives you the sure foundation of the resurrection of the dead. And Abraham showed this in the most dramatic way possible, that in the midst of death, you are to believe in the God who grants life. Now, this faith is instructive for us in a number of different ways. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, if you think about how are we to respond in faith to God's promises, or how are we to respond in faith to various situations, uh, notice Abraham never tries to justify, at least not here in Genesis 22 where he's commended for his faith, he never tries to justify an ungodly action by appealing to God's blessings or promises. He, he, he never tries to do that. And he simply says this, faith obeys, Faith believes the promises. Faith does not try to wiggle around to try to bring about the promises through ungodly means. Faith simply obeys. Faith simply believes in the promises of God and leaves the, command, the, the promises of God to be fulfilled uh, uh, by him in his own time. Faith simply believes that all the promises of God are yes and amen in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. The reason why I'm emphasizing this is because this is often a temptation that people have. You think of... Um, uh, there's all kinds of ways in which people try to justify ungodly actions by saying, if I do this, this may be helpful for the sake of the kingdom of God. You think of, of an example, something like, you know, a person says, I know I shouldn't date this person, but maybe I can convert this person. So the justification of the sin of dating an unbeliever is that it may be, it may be a help to advance the kingdom of God. That's what, that's what Abraham did with Hagar. It's not what he did. He, he, he had every ability to do that in Genesis 22. He could have said, I will not offer Isaac because the promises must be given through him. And so he's reasoning from God's blessings, God's promise, all the nations will know. Uh, that's all I'm doing. That's, that's not faith. Faith is I will simply obey the commands and I will believe the promises. You think of another example, something like uh, moving to a place without a good church by arguing that God has given great blessings of provision through a job offer. You think, here's these great blessings. God promised he'll provide for me. Here it is, the provision. I know this is the provision. God's promised to do this. And therefore, I am justified in moving to a place where there's no good church uh, because it's a fulfillment of God's promise. Faith obeys the commandments of God and then believes that God, through his own power and sovereignty, will bless and, and bring about the fulfillment of the promises. 
uh, even when it looks like obedience will be counterproductive to the fulfillment of the promises. That's what Abraham did. And brothers and sisters, that's the way you are to live in this life. Faith simply believes and simply obeys. God is the one who will fulfill the promises and his commandments are good. He is able to fulfill both. He, he is able to grant a command that appears to be contrary to the promise and yet still fulfill the promise because he is the one that raises the dead. He is the one that raised the dead. This is the substance of Abraham's hope. This is the thing that proves that Abraham was looking to the resurrection from the dead. And as the author says, he actually did spiritually, in a figurative sense, receive him back. Now, the, the second way in which the resurrection from the dead is emphasized is with the things that are said and done by the patriarchs at the end of their lives. And the thing that this proves is, again, they, they are looking beyond this life. They didn't receive the things in this life. And yet they're also, uh, they care about what happens after death because they believe that there is something still significant that's going to happen even for them after their death. What are we to conclude then? They believed in the resurrection from the dead. They believed in the resurrection from the dead. Now this happens in two ways. Again, uh, speaking about things unseen, particularly with regard to the blessings. So there were blessings that were given. And then also there was burial, instructions concerning the bones of Joseph. Now the first one with regard to blessings. So here we have uh, in verse 20, by faith, Isaac blesses Jacob and Esau concerning things yet to come. So things that are unseen. Uh, this refers to uh, Isaac giving a blessing to Jacob uh, and Esau really blessing Jacob while, while cursing Esau. Uh, then by faith we have Jacob. So then the next generation while dying uh, blesses each of his sons. Now interestingly, uh, Jacob, what's being referred to here is the blessings in Genesis 48, not the blessings in Genesis 49. Um, this is the, the blessings not of all of Jacob's sons, but only uh, merely Joseph's sons, uh, that is Ephraim and, and Manasseh. Both of them show forth the faith of the patriarchs. They were, looking, uh, they were looking forward to the fulfillment of things that would not be granted in this life. They would not be granted in, in their life. We know that because they're about to die. So this is their last word show that they are looking beyond this life. Now, one of the things that we see that's very clear from the book of Genesis that's very unique about the patriarchs is that they were given the ability under the sovereignty of God uh, to, to pass along the blessings, the promises to their progeny. So they would give a blessing and that blessing was, was effective in a way that would not be true if you or I were to bless our children at the end of our lives. So there is a sense in which their blessings actually were, they were actually communicating the blessings, very much like the apostles uh, who were able to communicate the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So they, they, they could actually lay their hands on someone and the Holy Spirit would, would, would fall upon somebody. Uh, we pray for the Holy Spirit. We pray for blessings, but we don't have the authority to communicate it in the same way. This is the reason why it was so significant who Jacob was going to, to bless, the reason why, uh, or, or Isaac, who Isaac was going to bless, why there was so much fighting between Jacob and Esau with regard to who was going to receive the blessing. Now, um, they were fighting over that, though, um, though it's very clear in Genesis that they were able to communicate the blessings. Uh, we were already told in Genesis 26 uh, who was going to receive the blessing. And so it was, this was all still under the sovereignty of God. Uh, Isaac had no ability to give a blessing that was contrary to uh, the power of God. But the, but the point is, is that this unique thing that the patriarchs were able to do was evidence of their faith in the life to come. They believed there was a significance of their blessing, uh, their children. And that, and, and there was, in fact, they were actually communicating the blessing that this promise was a multi-generational thing. 
that was going to go beyond their lives. Therefore, therefore, it had to do with the resurrection from the dead. It went beyond uh, this life. Uh, Joseph is discussed in verse 22. It's a little bit different from him. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the only three patriarchs that can really communicate uh, blessings. Uh, Joseph does not give the blessing. This is, again, only Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yet, he does, at the end of his life, remind his family of the Exodus. So he knew that there was going to be a deliverance in the future. He knew that this was based on the promises, and therefore he, he reminds his family, look, there's a salvation that is, in fact, going to come. And in this way, Joseph's example gives us a little bit more of a, you know, if you were to think, how can I act the same way through my life? It's more like Joseph uh, than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We do not have the ability to communicate blessings in the same way as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but there is something analogous to this, which Joseph did and which all the godly have always done, which is to say, the end of your life is not the end of your existence, nor the end of the things that you care about in this world. You are to remind your family all throughout your life of the future resurrection from the dead, the hope that you are not missing out on when you die. And you are to point them to that all the way up to your last days. Joseph showed his faith in this by the very fact that he remained faithful to God all the way to the end and then reminded the people, God will bring you up from this land. God will bring you up from this land. Now, the, the bringing up from the land in verse 22 is connected to another thing. And that is the giving of instructions concerning his bones. And these two, two things are, in fact, uh, linked in Genesis chapter 50. So the idea here is, is that uh, Joseph knew because of the promise of God that there would be an exodus. And so then as he's thinking about his own, his own body, he realizes the people are going to go back to this land of promise where the God of the living is, where my forefathers are buried. And what he says is, I want to be buried there. And he wants to be buried there because to be buried in the land where God is, is to be buried in the land where the dead will be raised. Why does he care about his body after death? The reason is because he has a hope for the body after death. You care about the body after death because there's a hope for the body after death. Therefore, uh, Joseph giving instructions concerning his bones, concerning his own burial. You'll notice he makes those people swear that they will bury him in the land of promise. You must do it. You, you, you think of, of how significant this would have been. This did not happen for 400 years. 400 years, the body of Joseph was preserved until the day when it was carried up and crossed over the Jordan with the people of God when Joshua brought the people in and then he was buried in the land of the living. Now, one of the things this shows, brothers and sisters, is the significance of burial in terms of a declaration of your faith. It is a declaration of your belief in the resurrection from the dead. It, it, it's the thing that shows you believe that there is a hope for your body after death. You believe it, you bury. That, that's, that's the point that's made, that Joseph makes. I want to be buried in the land of the living. And brothers and sisters, this is really seen all throughout the Bible. In Genesis, if you just read through the book of Genesis, you'll see that there is a great emphasis on burial. And this is the reason why. This is one of the things that the author of Hebrews is picking up on that showed the faith of the patriarchs. How do you know that the patriarchs believe in the resurrection from the dead? There's all the things I've said to this point. There's also the very fact that they were so invested in the idea of burial. Why is there an entire chapter devoted to Sarah's burial? Because it was significant 
that she be given a place to, to, to rest in her grave in the promised land. The only land that was given to Abraham was a place for her to be, uh, for, for his family to be buried, for him to be buried and all of his family. And we see this all throughout, that, throughout biblical history, the significance of burial. It's always considered a blessing in the Old Testament to go to your grave in peace. It's always considered a curse for the body to be destroyed after death and not to go to the grave in peace. You think of Jezebel. It's not just that she would die. That's not part of her, the end of her curse. It's that her body will never go to a grave and be desecrated and eaten by dogs. That's the thing that shows that she was cursed. All people are going to die. But the thing that really shows her curse is that her body was going to be mutilated at the end, at the end after her death. And, you know, the people of God thought this so significant that uh, even when Saul dies, you know, we're reading about 1 Samuel, when Saul dies, uh, to show that he was cursed from God, his body was captured by the Philistines, his body was also mutilated. But out of respect for him, the people of God went on a mission to enter into Philistine territory. Saul is already dead, merely to capture back his body so that he could be given a proper burial. And the reason is because the people of God understood that burial was important. It was, it was a significant thing because it was a declaration uh, uh, of blessing from God to go to your, your grave in peace. This is the thing that was promised to, to David. You will go to your fathers in peace in the, in the Davidic covenant. The reason why this was so significant is because coming to your grave in peace versus having your body destroyed was a foretaste of the judgment to come. God was pleased with those he allowed to reach the grave and he was not pleased with those who had their bodies destroyed. And this is even true with the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Not just the Old Testament. You think of the way in which Mary anointed Jesus in preparation for his burial. And the Lord Jesus Christ even says, uh, this good deed that Mary has done, wherever the gospel is proclaimed all throughout the world, this good deed will be proclaimed along with it. That uh, Mary showed care for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in anointing it for burial. And, and you can think of, of how significant uh, this would have been for the Lord Jesus Christ. Belief in the resurrection, if his body was destroyed, uh, he's only going to be raised three days later. Uh, so it would have been a, it would have been a, a great and, and terrible tragedy. It's not like it would have prevented um, his resurrection because of the power of God. But, it, it, but the destruction of the body for him would have been quite significant in that he was about to be raised only three days later. But brothers and sisters, our resurrection is like the Lord Jesus Christ. We are buried because he was buried, will be raised because he is raised. That's the way in which the scriptures speak. This is why burial, even today, is still an act of faith. The body is placed in the ground in the hope of the resurrection. This is even uh, what our catechism teaches. You think of uh, question 37. Uh, what benefits do believers receive from, the, from uh, Christ at their death? The souls of believers immediately are perfected, go into glory. The bodies of believers still being united to Christ. The bodies are still united to Christ, do rest in their graves, awaiting the resurrection. The bodies of believers are still united to Christ. And therefore, burial has always been seen all throughout the history of the Christian church. It's always been seen as an act of faith whereby a Christian proclaims his hope in the world to come. That the resurrection, there is a resurrection of the dead. The patriarchs were in some sense the beginning of this in terms of the, the recording of scripture. I'm sure they weren't the, for the first. Uh, but, but the idea is that the patriarchs have shown in everything they did that they believed in the world to come. 
they believed in the resurrection from the dead. Abraham believed in it. We know that he believed in it because he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. He was willing to do it. That showed his faith in the resurrection. The blessings came. Why did they come? Because there's a resurrection from the dead. Why did Joseph care so much about where his bones ended up? Because he wanted to be raised from the dead in the land of the living. When I arise, let it be that I arise in the land that God has promised to dwell with his people. That was, that was what he wanted. And that was where we see his resurrection. And brothers and sisters, the point of all this is simply to say that when you think about the definition of hope, the substance of things hoped for, the substance of things hoped for, what the author is making clear is, is that this includes the resurrection of the dead. Abraham was seeking that city, but he was seeking it also in the context of the resurrection from the dead. He believed that the dead would, in fact, be raised. And this, brothers and sisters, is the reason why you are to endure all kinds of difficulties in this life. Remember, this is the context. The author is exhorting the people to endure, to hold fast to their confession of faith. So, so what are you to do when you see death all around you? And, and you see all kinds of, of difficulties and sufferings and oppressions that may never end in this life. The answer is you are to believe in the resurrection of the dead. Like all of those who are faithful who came before you did. You are to believe in the resurrection of the dead. You are to hold fast to your confession. And you are to endure. Even as they did, even unto death. May God grant you this grace that you would be able to endure knowing that all the dead one day will be raised in Christ, that we will go to meet Christ in the air, and that so we will always be with the Lord on the day when that trumpet blasts and the sound of the archangel goes forth and Christ himself is revealed. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do thank you, how we do praise you, for the resurrection from the dead. What a, what a great thing it is, Lord, as we think about the substance of our hope that this includes, that we will live, that with our very eyes in the flesh, we will see the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will see him and not another, our Savior in whom we have put all of our trust and hope, that we'll, we will be able to say with Job who had the same faith and the same resurrection, I know that my Redeemer lives. I, we know that he lives. Even today he lives, seated at your right hand, who will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. Uh, judging, uh, judging and also saving all those who are eagerly awaiting his return. Uh, Father, how we do pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would come and that he would come quickly. Uh, for we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. 
The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place, uh, through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.